listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So the title of today's sermon is To Hell and Back, which seems uh, appropriate somehow for Mother's Day. (laughs) Oh, my. So um, let me start with that gospel passage. So Jesus is is preparing his disciples for his soon departure, and he kind of tells them, look, I'm not going to leave you alone. Um, The Father is going to send another comforter, another counselor, another advocate which suggests that Jesus has been that first comforter, that first counselor, that first advocate. So the Father is going to send another one. He's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to kind of do in us and for us what Christ was doing in and for his disciples. And there's a particular uh, passage there. Um, The translation that we read says, I will not leave you orphaned, which is a fine translation. But for those of you who are multilingual, you know that um, anytime when you're working with a translation, there's always the possibility or even the likelihood that something's lost in translation. And something that's lost in that translation, I will not leave you orphaned, is the idea that the word you there is plural and so is orphans. So if I put it in my kind of southern uh, colloquialism, I might translate it, I will not leave y'all as orphans. So that This is not just for you, singular, it's for you all, the group. And it's not just that one of you might have been orphaned, it's that none of you will be orphaned. You all have a father, and that father is God. Um, As the old preachers like to say, God has children but no grandchildren, right? We all have our personal relationship with God. There's nothing in between us and God. And God sent his son so that we might know this. And even when the son left, the spirit was sent so that we might continue to know this, that we might continue to experience this. Now, the life that we find ourselves in is sometimes a very difficult one, though. Life's not always easy. In fact, life is often hard. And Peter is talking about that in his letter. He's talking about the struggles that we experience, um, the hardships that we experience. And he says, you know, sometimes we run into bad times because we make bad decisions and we have to suffer from those. But sometimes we run into hard times of no fault of our own, right? Evil exists. It, people, people are, are mean, <laughs> right? Uh, tough times happen. And he goes, when that's happening you should know that the same thing happened to Christ. And then as he's kind of recounting for us the very heart of the gospel, right? That Jesus died on a cross, that that he um, descended into hell, and that he uh, proclaimed to those who were in prison. Well, that's an interesting part of the story. So earlier we sang a song, uh, This I Believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. This song is kind of inspired by an ancient uh, confession of faith that says just that, right? 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, a maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And then it says this, he descended into hell. It's an interesting statement. I mean, Peter says that. Peter makes that, that he proclaimed to those who were in prison. And then it says he was resurrected. Uh, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the one universal church. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. But that, that phrase, that, that idea that he descended into hell is one that I think we often skirt over. And I think on a day like today, um, when in our, in, our, in our national calendar, we're kind of celebrating mothers. Um, and in a, in a day like today, when we're in this post-Easter, this Easter tide kind of season, like what, what difference does it make that the tomb is empty? Like what, what difference does it make that the resurrection took place? This is what I want you to know. That God has sent his spirit that none of you are orphans and that he would go to the greatest possible lengths to save you because he loves you. How far would he go? He would go to hell and back in order to care for you. The psalmist says this. In this, in this season, our first psalm was a psalm that Peter quoted, actually, in Acts chapter 2. But it's a psalm written by David. And it says, it's Psalm 16. It says, even if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Like, we kind, of, we kind of understand this. Like, we believe that God is everywhere. It's one of those things that we, you know, we teach beginning, you know, theology students. Like, God is omniscient. He knows all things. And God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And, and God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. Now, but that God is everywhere is a really key part of this story. That there's no place you can go, there's no place you might find yourself where God is not. Now, you might, depending on your life, find yourself far from home. You might find yourself alone. You might find yourself and you think, how did I get here? This is not how it was supposed to be. But wherever that is, know that when you got there, God was already there waiting on you because God is everywhere. Even in the most difficult times in our lives, God's not surprised and God's not elsewhere. God is there. And this, this idea that he descends into hell to set free those who are captive, this is not unique to 1 Peter or to the creed. We actually find this idea throughout the New Testament. I want to show you a few passages of Scripture. This one comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. John writes this. He says, Very truly I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Here's another one. It comes from Acts chapter 2. It says, But God raised him up having released him from the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held by its power. 
This is more straightforward. This comes from Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this really gets at it here. It says, when it says he ascended, what does it mean that, but that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? Right? So before he ascended, he descended. And that's not like to come to earth, but to go below the earth, to go and free all of those who had been captive. And then, of course, this, this is the passage from 1 Peter that uh, Alan just read to us, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Like, Jesus was busy preaching a sermon on Holy Saturday. Sometime between Good Friday and Easter Saturday, Jesus went on an evangelistic tour and preached a sermon no other place except for, except for hell. And then we'll end with this one, coming back around to John, John the Revelator this time. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, it says, And the living one uh, says, I was dead, and see, I'm alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus has the keys. Now, do you all know, or have you seen... This is a pretty common kind of Christian art where Jesus is kind of standing um, at a wooden door and he's kind of knocking. Do you know that one? And he looks very much like my vacation Bible school Jesus, or the, the Jesus that hung on the wall in my grandmother's house, right? And I've seen some recent memes with that on there and like Jesus is knocking and it's like, knock, knock, and who is it? It's Jesus, um, let me in, Why? Um, because I want to save you. Uh, save you from what? Uh, save you from what I'm going to do to you if you don't open that door. <laughs> it makes, makes Jesus sound like he's like an angry father. <laughs> like Jesus, or angry brother, I guess, right? Jesus is going to come in. He's going to get us. But I, I want to show you another picture. This, this one actually comes from um, a Greek Orthodox icon. And we're kind of zoomed in pretty tight here. But this one is called the Resurrection. It's been around a long time, and it shows Jesus, and he has by the wrist an old man and an old woman, and he's kind of pulling them out of their coffins. Um, in, the, in the larger picture of this, you can see below those coffins are the gates of hell, which have kind of fallen in the shape of a cross uh, on the ground. And even beneath them are like uh, chains and, and, and um, keys and shackles and such. And it kind of tells a story that all of those passages of Scripture, I think, pointed to. The, the John chapter 5, the Ephesians chapter 4, the Acts chapter 2, the, um, the, the passage in Peter, and, and especially that passage in Revelation where Jesus says, I have the keys of death and hell. Like, I'm the one that has the lock. That, that has the key. And this, in this picture, the old woman and the old man are supposed to be Adam and Eve. Like, they are not lost to eternity just because they lived before the death and resurrection of Jesus. That all of those who lived before Christ have just as much access to the salvation that those of us who lived after Christ because time itself doesn't hinder God. There's nothing that hinders God. God can't be hindered. God's love can accomplish exactly what God's love is made to accomplish because that's who God is, because God is sovereign. And so I've thought of this 
And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but this is the nature when you're kind of preaching through the lectionary because you're, you're following certain passages of the scripture. And so those themes are kind of picked up here and again. And so this idea that we are living stones, that we're part of this temple of the Holy Spirit, is this idea that <clears throat> the work of God is active in our lives. We are living stones, not dead stones. We, we together, we house the Spirit. And so what does that mean? It means that, that again, God can accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And God is willing to go to great lengths to see that happen. I mean, the, the crucifixion should be the ultimate sign of that. But the fact that it doesn't end at the crucifixion, but in some ways it begins there. Because the crucifixion is what people said in response to God. What God says in response to the crucifixion is the resurrection. Like that's, that's God's primary um, activity in relationship to sin is forgiveness. Now, if we have been sinned against, we might, we might be a little slow to, to appreciate that, right? We might want more judgment than forgiveness. But when we realize that we ourselves are sinners, we can be pretty delighted that God is so quick to forgive and that it's not, it's not hard for him to do so. It's, it's not cumbersome. God doesn't struggle. God doesn't, God doesn't have like, it's not in any way difficult. It is the very nature of who God is, is to behave this way. And so I used to see it like this, right? I used to imagine that hell was this place that we got locked in for being bad, almost like getting sent to your room, except really worse because it was hot and there were other people in there to torture you or something, right? And so you were being locked in. But then as I grew, I began, I began to think that maybe it functions a little differently than that. It's not so much that we're being locked in, but rather it's where we go to try and avoid God. And so that the door is locked, but it's not locked from the outside. It's locked from the inside. We're trying to lock out the love of God. We're trying to lock out God's forgiveness. Like God has forgiven. Like I believe that Jesus' death on the cross is for everyone, not just for some people, right? I know there's some Christians that believe it is just for some. Like hashtag some lives matter, but that's not me. <laughs> I'm not in that camp, <laughs> right? And so um, if, I, if I believe that, then, then this idea that there's nothing... There, there's nothing that I can do that is going to make God stop pursuing me. And that's good news. And so I've always thought it that now I, I grew to think that this was a place of, of, of rejection, right? Where not God's rejection of me so much, but my rejection of God that I might be able to lock him out. And maybe we could have for a while. But then even that seems to be overcome in the death and the resurrection. 
So again, it's not just one statement from the creed or one statement from 1 Peter, but it's, it's a cadence that we find throughout the canon, right? All the way from the psalmist that says, even if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there, through the Gospels, into Acts, the, the epistles of the church, and even in the book of Revelation, that <clears throat> the gates of hell are temporary. They have a lifespan. They don't last. I mean, Jesus had said this too previously, right? When, when Peter said, you are the Christ, and he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and, and I, you are a rock, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's not that somehow the church is a little cloister, and if we cluster together and hold on to one another, we might make it to the end before this world just kind of like crumbles in on top of us. That's a very defeatist view. It is a, a Christian view, but I don't think it's a particularly good one. I think the view of the church that we actually get from Scripture is quite triumphant. Like, the, the church wins. Not by sheer force, but oddly enough, through love and sacrifice. And, and, and so, the gates of hell will not withstand the expansion of the kingdom. And in particularly, the coming of the king. And so the king comes, and he now has the keys, and he's torn down those gates. It doesn't mean necessarily that people might not still stay there. Like, I can, st I can take the hinges, <laughs> I could take the hinges off the door, but I might still kind of stay there in the dark as opposed to coming out, right? I can still say no. I can still resist God's grace or God's love. I can refuse God's forgiveness. But that's on me. It's not on God. God will not leave you, or you, or you, or you. He will not leave us as orphans. He is our Heavenly Father. And if you think you might go to great lengths to do something for your child, that's, that's just a fraction of what the Father would do for us, of what Jesus has done for us. He has gone to hell and back to make a way. And what a tragedy on our part not to embrace that, and not to receive that forgiveness and that grace and that love and that mercy and allow that to kind of transform us through that very spirit that John told us or that Jesus told us would come. The coming of the spirit, we're about to celebrate it in a couple of weeks, we call it Pentecost. But that pouring out of that same spirit is what now shapes us and forms us into the image of Christ the very same way the Spirit formed Christ in the womb of Mary. And so that we can become part of the family of God 
no longer orphaned, part of the body of Christ, connected to one another, part of the temple of the Spirit, or as we're saying in this series, as living stones. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.